Welcome to the Ivy Church podcast. For more podcasts and information about Ivy Church, go to ivychurch.org. Matt Emmons is one of the world's greatest sharpshooters. Some years ago, he was headed for his second Olympic gold. All he had to do was hit the target, and he did, bullseye. But the problem was he didn't check beforehand that this was the target he was meant to shoot at, which meant he didn't even get a silver or a bronze. In our year of focus here at Ivy Church, I believe Jesus wants us to check, every one of us, what we're aiming for in life. Because it would be worse for us to spend our lives focusing on the wrong targets, even if we hit them, than it was for him to miss out on Olympic gold. The fact is, none of us can do everything. Multitasking is a myth. Neurologically, it's been proven that all we can do is switch tasks from one to another. Maybe we're faster or slower at that than other people, but there's no difference that's been proven, no gender difference has been proven. What will make a difference though in 2020 and beyond is our focus, choosing what's first and what's not. When we live surrounded by so many things though, this can be really tough because we know that life doesn't actually come to us in decades or years or even months. Life comes to us in moments, moments for us to make the most of. And when we choose what we will do in those moments and what we choose what we will do adds up to our lives. Which is why the psalmist says in Psalm 90, teach us to number our days so that we can gain a heart of wisdom. None of us know how many more decades we'll have. I'm definitely in the second half of my life. I don't know how far you've gone so far, but the question is, what are we gonna do with what we get from here, from today? How will we spend our lives? And what's first in terms of importance? The average Brit gets six and a half hours sleep. There's a TED talk I watched last week called Sleep is Your Superpower, which convinced me how unhealthy that is and that actually we need seven or eight hours a night, which leaves about a thousand minutes. Imagine you've got those thousand minutes of your waking moments. You could lay them all out in 10 minute blocks. The question is, how many of those minutes, how many of those moments are we living on purpose in, intentional about what it is that we're doing as we're spending our lives. You see, you can meet up with somebody in a cafe and that might use up 10 10 minute blocks. Is that somebody that you really wanna spend that time on? How many blocks do we waste, if you consider it a waste, watching television? I'm sure you only watch all the documentaries like I do, but Brits average 
12 hours a week watching TV. Now, two blocks a day, two 10-minute blocks a day, adds up to about 15 books a year at the average reading speed. Is that worthwhile? I think so. That's why we're encouraging everybody to read a phenomenal book as part of our year of focus that's called The Ruthless Elimination of Hurry by John Mark Comer. And if you're in one of our grow groups, we're encouraging all of our grow groups that meet in the midweek, that the leaders there will insist that we all together read this book and the notes that we're putting on the grow group blog will help us to go deeper into it as we continue in a series on our year of focus, learning from that book. So I really encourage you to do that. Now you might say, I haven't got time to read a book. Well, I'm reading the book now and as I open it, he cites here a study, recent study, that shows the average iPhone user touches their phone 2,617 times a day and is on their phone for two and a half hours in 70 sessions. Another study on millennials showed they did twice that amount of time. He also says, our attention span is dropping with every passing year. In the year 2000, before the digital revolution, it was 12 seconds. Now it's an eight second attention span, while a goldfish has nine. Try and stay with me, try and stay focused. How focused are we? Oh, well, I'll just check the weather. How distracted are we? Hmm, just need to check social media. Maybe I'll pause listening to this now. Oh, I just got an email and there's a notification. So how do we keep the main thing the main thing? And what is the main thing for you? How can we live with first things first when there are so many things grabbing for our attention, grabbing our moments and our minutes. As I said, if you're in one of our grow groups led by somebody who's following our recommended notes on the blog to go deeper into this series together as a church, you're gonna find this week there's some brilliant teaching on how to help with technology overload, really practical. But the temptation is just to say, let's throw away our phones. Well, that's not the problem, to be honest with you. Problem, uh, phones can be used for wonderful things too, like listening to podcasts and uh, teaching of the Bible, um, like you're doing right now. So this is not the problem. I'll tell you what the problem is. I am the problem. The phone is just a tool like any other that I can use in ways that are helpful or harmful. I read that in ancient Greece, Plato complained that the invention of writing was destroying conversation. The fact is people have always been people and people get busy and get distracted, which is why the ancient wisdom of the Bible still works for us today. It comes down to focus, it comes down to decisions. What will I focus on now? Not just for eight seconds, but for the next block of moments that become minutes. How many moments will be lived according to priorities? How many under pressure? How many in prayer? How many fully present with God and other people? A couple of my favourite blocks the other week were spent with my grandson Daniel for his bedtime story. I asked him to pick a story and he picked up a great book, <laughs> he loved it, called Jesus, Mary and Martha. I'm not going to read it you from the beginner's Bible. I'm going to read you the story from the Passion Version. Just focus on God's word with me now as I read it. 
Jesus and the disciples came to a village where a woman named Martha welcomed Jesus into her home. She had a sister named Mary who sat down attentively before the master, absorbing every revelation he shared. But Martha became exasperated, finishing the numerous household chores for her guests. So she interrupted Jesus and said, Lord, don't you think it's unfair that my sister left me to do all the work by myself? You should tell her to get up and help me. The Lord answered her, Martha, my beloved Martha, why are you upset and troubled, pulled away by these many distractions? Are they really all that important? Mary has discovered the one thing that's most important by choosing to sit at my feet. She is undistracted and I will not take this privilege from her. Now, when I read it from the Beginner's Bible, it starts, one day a woman called Martha invited Jesus into her house. And Daniel started laughing. I said, why are you laughing? He said, why would you only have Jesus in your house, not in your heart? He wants to come into your heart. And I thought, wow, he got it. That really was the difference. See, Martha opened her house and got busy, 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 doing, 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 distracted. Mary sat down, which is the position in those days a disciple would take to learn from a rabbi, and she opened her heart to him. She was devoted to him. How many blocks this week were spent like this for you and me? 10 minutes at a time, maybe. Maybe any 10 minutes. Just sat down attentively before the Lord, absorbing every revelation he shared, being devoted. But contrast that with Martha, who it says, instead of being devoted, was just distracted by so many other things. She was doing so many other things first. First I'll do this, first I'll do that, then I'll do this and that, and then I'll sit down and be with Jesus. We do that, don't we? First I'll answer that email, first I'll tidy up, first I'll do all kinds of other things. How does that usually end up? See, yes, there will always be things to do and times to serve. And no, notice she's not doing bad things. She's doing lots and lots of good things. But Jesus said in that moment, Mary has discovered the one thing that is the most important. She's learned to put the first thing first. How do we do that? Well, I learned a, heard a talk some years ago that I'll never forget. It said first means first in five areas. And I remember what they, those things were, F-I-R-S-T. I check myself against these five to see if God is really first. Why don't you write them down? Start with the most difficult first, F, finances. Proverbs 3, verses 9 to 10 say this, Honour the Lord with your possessions and with the first fruits of all your increase. So your barns will be filled with plenty and your vats will overflow with new wine. There's, there's a, a cause and effect going on there. We love the effect that blessing of the Lord. But do you know what this is linked to? Trust. Because just a few verses up, I read these words, which many of us know by heart. Trust in the Lord with all your heart and do not rely on your own understanding. In all your ways, interesting word, would ways include your financial ways, your career choices, your savings, spending, giving? I think so. In all your ways, acknowledge him and he will direct your paths. Putting God first in my finances shows that I trust him. I'm not relying on my own understanding, my own ways to figure it all out. Did you ever hear the phrase living by faith? People use it like, you know, there are some Christians who quit their jobs 
and call it living by faith because now they're going to depend on the Lord to provide, often through churches supporting them or other Christians helping them. But guess what? Everybody lives by faith in something or somebody, usually themselves. Today, every year at Ivy, we take up our first fruits offering. When we do that, that's a chance for you to be able to say to God, I'm living by faith in you in 2020. And I want to honour you with what you gave me and give some of it back. Give back the very best I've got right at the start of the year to show you I'm trusting you. You are first in my finances. I remember the preacher said that. First F was finances. The next thing I is putting God first in my interests. It's good to have interests. Interests make you interesting. Have a passion, have a hobby. You might like golf or gaming, cooking or classic cars. It, it could be a sports team. That's good, as long as it's not first. As long as you don't get more excited about the football. Because in the first two commandments, God says, I am God and I'm first. And I don't want you to have any idols. Don't let your interests become an idol. How does it become an idol? If it steals away your time, if it has first call on your money, if it gets first call on your attention when God only gets leftovers in all these areas. That's not just breaking God's commandments, it's breaking his heart. Why? Because the Bible says you are first in his interest. He's constantly thinking loving thoughts towards you and me, more numerous than the sand on the seashore. F-I-R, is he first in your relationships? Jesus said, anybody who loves their father or mother more than me is not worthy of me. Anyone who loves their son or daughter more than me is not worthy of me. And he's not saying you shouldn't love them. Hebrews use comparison a lot to make a point, exaggeration. He's saying in comparison to how you love them. It's, I want to be first. Is he first in your relationships? I remember years ago as an example when Joel, our son, was a teenager. It was football or church. He kind of ties those uh, interests and relationships together here because Parents often face this difficult dilemma. What do you do? Well, Joel chose church. Guess what? We helped him choose church strongly. We told him, this family, we choose church. We choose Jesus. Now, I'm not one supportive. I'd been a football dad for years. On Saturdays, I took him to practices as well in the week. I drove the minibus to the games. But when they said, now we're going to go to Sundays, a different league, we said, I'm sorry, but no, Jesus is the better portion. We want him for Joel. Now, Martin, the coach, was a friend. He wasn't a Christian. He was a neighbour. He came and he talked to me and he said this bit of emotional kind of, you know, heartstrings. He said, what about Joel's mates? What about his teammates? And yeah, his teammates were important. But guess what? I said, Martin, Jesus is most important. You know what Martin did after that? He entered the team in a different league so they could stay playing on a Saturday. That would not have happened if we'd not said Jesus is first. And now, by the way, Joel's in his mid-twenties. How many of those relationships has he kept? Those teammates and all those other things that at the time seemed so important. How many relationships does he still have? One. Which one? Jesus. Is Jesus number one in your relationships? Are the friends you're choosing or dating, are they going to draw you closer or further away from your first love. Next one, S is schedule. Think about those 10 minute blocks. Again, think about church and worship and Jesus and 
prayer versus all the other things that compete for first. Who wins? What about first thing in the morning? What gets your attention? Who gets your attention? Is it the news? Is it the email? If it's the phone, could it be because you're working through a free Bible reading plan on the U version app? Zoe and I do that. We listen and read to David Suchet first thing every morning as we have two blocks a day that gets us through the whole Old Testament once and the New Testament twice every year. How do you get God in a busy schedule? I'll tell you. You put God first. Get the diary open, put some God blocks in. I'm busy too, but I get in my diary and I put in there first, in different places, meet with JC, spend a block or two with my best friend, you see. He's awesome. He's a wonderful counsellor. He's an ever-present help in time of trouble. He's, he sticks closer than the brother. And then, oh, you want a coffee meeting at that point? I'm sorry, I already have a meeting in with my best friend at that time. Then T is you put God first in your troubles. And we can always do that. In Psalm 50, he says, call on me in the day of trouble and I'll answer you. That's brilliant. But the problem is when we only come to God when we have troubles, rather than putting him first. How, why do we get troubles over, by the way? Well, I don't know about you, but sometimes you get troubles over stress because of an over busy schedule. That's when sometimes we say, well, I'll have to come off that rotor at church now. I can't serve in that area anyway, because perhaps that's, we have to check ourselves on that, because if he's not really our first love, then the first thing to go could be serving him. And I couldn't possibly give up on this or that or that, but I haven't got time for this. Or perhaps we have trouble in our relationships. Again, because we didn't put him first. Now we're asking him to sort it out. Or I don't want God interfering with my money until the finances are a total mess and then I really want him to take over. Lord, I need you now to come and take control of my money situation. Don't just come to him in your troubles. When Martha came, she was very troubled. She was wound up. She was put out. She's got steam coming out of her ears. She storms into Jesus to tell him what to do. Lord, don't you care? That's how often she feels. That's how it ends up, isn't it? Thinking he doesn't care. She says this then. I want you to tell her to help me. Look at that statement more closely. I want you to tell her to help me. Who's most important in that sentence? I, I am. What's that all about? See, I'll tell you this, we don't want to hear it. The problem, this is about ego. Ego is edging God out. You get her to help me. Who's number one there? And we all wrestle with this, don't we? Especially when it becomes about my performance, how I'm doing, what I'm doing for others. It's about me compared with what others are doing and what they're not doing. We edge God out because no, it's no longer about Jesus and what he's doing. And we, and we forget, I'm not the one it's all about. We take God out of the center. When I'm busy and anxious and distracted, when something else becomes my first thing, Ego leads to pride, comparison, anger, a judgmental spirit, edging God out. And she looks at everything that she's got on her plate and shows it to Jesus. And he says, I didn't order that. Jesus, you see, sometimes when it's, I get my focus off him and onto all the things that need to happen and need to be done. My ego gets in the way and Jesus didn't order that. 
We don't usually see this as an ego problem because it's like, I'm serving here. But if it's not in a positive spirit, if it's not a love response to the unconditional love that I received, Jesus didn't order that. I edge God out. When it's all about my tasks, my role, who's first on that list? Comparison robs her contentment and that edges other people out too. This is how Martha becomes a martyr. And I love that Jesus calls her by name twice, slowly. Martha, Martha, you are anxious and troubled by many distractions. Well, she's not doing anything. Yes, she is. She's loving me. She chose the best portion and it will not be taken away from her when all the plates get tidied up later and go in the dishwasher because this is going to last well beyond tea time. It's going to matter forever. Now, some of us are going to get annoyed by now because we want to split this up into the doers and the non-doers. And yeah, there are people who do, especially in church, there are people who do and lots of others who don't. But that's not what this is, because both of them were doing something. It's not about doers and don'ters. It's about lovers. What do we love? Who do we love? Who's our first love? And you know what I've found? Lovers always end up as doers. They really do, because love is a verb. But doers don't always end up as lovers. By that time, Martha was a doer who just felt hard done by. Jesus wants lovers. And lovers become doers. In fact, a lover will always outdo, outgive, outserve a doer. We can see this, we can track through Mary and Martha in the Gospels to where the Apostle John describes another time, months after this, when Jesus came back to the house. And it says, Jesus went back to Bethany. They prepared a supper for Jesus, Martha served and Lazarus and Mary were among those at the table. Mary picked up an alabaster jar filled with a litre of extremely rare and costly perfume, the purest extract of nard, and she anointed Jesus' feet. Then she wiped them dry with her long hair. That word pure, by the way, means the best of the best. Nard is from a, it's from a plant that grows in the Himalayas. Very rare. We, we can find out how much a litre cost because Judas and some of the other disciples objected to it being a waste, they said, of how much a year's wages, 300 denarii. She poured it all out, a year's wages. Now that's about 38,000 pounds in our money. Why did she do that? Because Mary was a lover. She didn't focus on herself. Ego wasn't in the way. How do you alter ego? There's only one way to alter ego. You put your ego on the altar in worship to Jesus. And now her ego was exalting God only. True lovers always become doers, givers. They don't even count the cost. It's just first things first. You can do without loving, but you can't love without doing. And at the end of the Bible in Revelation chapter two, the Lord Jesus wrote to Ephesus, where church people there were doing many good things, really busy doing lots, more, more, more deeds, hard work, persevering. But Jesus says, I hold this against you. Here's your problem. You're too busy to love me. You've forgotten your first love. 
And remember, these are good Christian people. He says they're rejecting false teaching, but they've got full diaries and empty hearts. They're hitting bullseye on the wrong targets. Jesus is asking, where's the love? Am I first? And then he says, look how far you have fallen. Turn back to me and do the works you did at first. This isn't saying don't do. It's saying, but before you do, be a lover again. Then yes, lovers will do. Yes, you will do because lovers are doers. But the question isn't what you do. The question is, am I number one? And if I am, do the things you did at first. Not because you had to, not because it just needed to be done, but because you love me. It's like you used to buy me perfume. I have to admit personally, I've been really busy. But I want Jesus to know today, he's my first love. And I want everything that I do and anything that I give to come out of that first love. And this year at Ivy, we're receiving again our first fruits offering. And if you're listening to this, you go to the Ivy Church website and press on the, the button for giving to be a part of this. Or if you're in our church, you could come along and you could uh, just bring it next Sunday. But what would a first love kind of gift look like to you? Where I don't think about me, but just about Jesus. I put my ego on the altar in worship, exalting God only. Jesus told that Revelation church in Ephesus and all of them that his eyes are flames of fire, searching hearts and minds. Ask, have we fallen? How far have we fallen from that first love? Maybe the longer we've been a Christian, the more chance this can happen if the love starts to cool down and we become busy and we get into routine. I want to pray, Lord, I just don't want to hit the wrong targets. I want to say you are still my first love. So I'm choosing the best portion. It's you, Lord. I want to say, I love you, Lord. As you're listening to this, why don't you just tell him? I love you, Lord. And I want you to know that I love you right now in everything I do, in anything that I give. It's all because I love you first and best. And Lord, please show us what first looks like, what first love looks like. And those of us who are going to give into this first fruits offering, we're saying it's because we want you to be first. First in my finances, first in my interests, First in my relationships, first in my schedule, first in my troubles. Thank you, you're always there for me. First in my heart. So when I pour out my gift on your feet, it's because I want you to know you are my most precious. First love. Amen. Thanks for listening. For more podcasts, go to ivychurch.org media.